Good morning. In Minnesota, we call the weather we're about to have the outdoor freezer. <laughs> there were times when we were planning potlucks or get-togethers at our house up there. And um, on Saturday, we would make some dish that needed to be refrigerated or sometimes frozen. And we would just stick it out on the back porch um, in the screened-in porch we had. It worked better than the freezer, frankly. Um, so we're about to have some of that. So welcome to a nice, warm building. Today will probably be the last day of some replete sunshine and then <laughs> hang on tomorrow, um, tonight and tomorrow. Glad you're here though. Um, we're going to continue our study of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, last week we did a review of kind of how, we, how Paul and his traveling companions got to Thessalonians, what the circumstances were um, uh, for the writing of this book. We'll do a quick review of that and then start to talk about how this book, is this first letter is laid out. Uh, if you would bow with me, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and the many blessings that you give us in our lives. We thank you most of all for your Son, who was the greatest gift to mankind of all, for all time and for eternity. Uh, we know that it is through him that we have an opportunity to be reconciled to you, to, to have our sins forgiven, for us to be seen as righteous and holy as you are, even though it's not because of the way we conduct our lives but because of the forgiveness that we have through that precious blood of your son. So thank you for that. And then thank you for your word. Uh, because of it, we know and understand your plan. Without it, we would have no clue about um, how you had intended for this to be the way that man would be um, forgiven and reconciled with you. Um, so thank you for that word. We would ask you to watch over us as we study a portion of it this morning. We look into this letter that Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica. And we ask you to do with the other teachers here in this building and elsewhere and other locations that are teaching the truth this morning. Help them to recall the things they've prepared and help them to be consistent with your word and for them to be stimulating to the people um, who have an opportunity to look inside um, your word. Uh, forgive us of our sins this very hour so that we might be standing this, at this very time righteous in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, there was a handout back there. Uh, some of the questions in that handout are just sort of a repeat of what we covered last week. But I wanted to hit real quickly kind of where we got to because that's about what I, where I want to use as a pivotal um, launch pad for our discussion today. So if you didn't get one, I'll, I'll get one to you, or we can get one to you. If hopefully everybody picked one up. There's also a chart on the other side. Um, not a chart that I originated. Um, this is something, since I mentioned Minnesota, this is something that we used in most of our classes up in Minnesota, but it's not something that originated there either. Um, you can find this, this shape of this chart online. Um, it's used by teachers in a lot of places um, with differences in what will go in those squares. Um, we'll go through that today and work with that together and fill that out um, so that you have kind of, kind of a layout of the, of the letter itself. Um, so let's start by talking about Paul and his companions. Um, where had they been right before they came to um, Thessalonica? This is their second journey, as you recall. Thessalonica being way over here on this particular map, up here in the corner, in Macedonia. What city of note had they been to right before that? 
Philippi, correct. Philippi. We just studied the book of Philippi, uh, or Philippians, to the, Philipp to the people in Philippi. What were the circumstances of the departure from that city? Did they leave that city on good terms? Hey, I mean, these are shout-out questions here. Everybody should know these. Did they leave on good terms? No, they did not. What happened there? What three things? We said last week there were three really important events in, in Philippi. This was the first time that the gospel was presented in any part of Europe. Once you cross over to the Aegean Sea, Aegean sea there, you're in Europe right above Greece, and this, this was in response to Paul having a vision of a man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. They hit Neapolis, but then they get to Philippi, and three things happen in Philippi. What's the first thing? Significant things. Who's converted? Lydia. Lydia and her whole household are converted. What happens next? Next thing that happens is significant. What's Paul do? He heals or casts this demon out or asks this spirit that was in this slave woman to leave her. Why? Because she was following them around and she kept telling everybody who they were. And Paul got a little tired of it. Um, and, you know, he said to the spirit, get out of her. Well, the people who owned this slave girl made a lot of money using her talents or her abilities. And so she all of a sudden had no longer had that ability. So, they go to the, to the, now we should talk a little bit about Philippi. What kind of a, of a city was Philippi? Who ruled the city of Philippi? Rome. Rome. Good. Roman it was a Roman colony, so it was ruled by the Roman army. So when these people took them to the rulers of the city of Philippi, it would have been a, a colonel, a general, it would have been a, somebody military. And so when and Paul and, and Silas are what? What, are they, what punishment do they do when, they, when they're brought before them? What, punish, what, what did they do to Paul? They beat him. They beat him with rods. They throw him in jail. And the, the accusation that was made by those people in Philippi was... Um, these people are teaching things that it's not right for Romans to do. Customs that Romans shouldn't follow. That was the accusation. So they're beaten with rods, thrown in jail. That's event number two. What's event number three? Positive outcome. The jailer. Earthquake and they're released and the jailer, the event that's there is that the jailer and his whole family are eventually converted. The jailer thinks he's, they've all escaped. He's about to kill himself. Paul says, don't do that. The jailer grabs them, takes them home, cleans their wounds, and his whole household is converted. Those are the three big events. The next morning, of course, the officials find out Paul's a Roman, Silas is a Roman. They realize, uh-oh, we have committed a huge, huge um, offense here. Because we did not put a Roman citizen through the due diligence of a trial before punishing him. This guy could have lost his appointment. So they want Paul and Silas to leave Philippi quietly. Hey, you guys, sorry, leave town. And I said last week, I don't think Paul left right away. I mean, the next place they go, 
The next place they go is to Thessalonica, but it's from Philippi to Thessalonica. They go through two more cities, and we talked about this last week. Those cities were spaced out at a one day's journey if you were walking. So you got Paul who's been beaten with rods. Probably, who knows, if he broke a few ribs, I don't know, but he's certainly bruised and sore. So when the officials the next day say, leave town, and Paul says he, he spent some time with the believers in Philippi, I don't think he left town that day and started on a three-day walk after being beat by rods. I don't know how long he stayed, but that's just me. It's purely supposition. He could have left the same day. I'm just saying that I don't know that he rushed out of town just because the officials told him to. So the circumstances were not good. So he goes to, sorry, I'm not keeping up here. Let me get to where I, these are, I, sorry, I'm just looking at that map and I could have helped you right there. That's where we are. So the next place he goes is Thessalonica. It's the second city of note in Macedonia. They pass through Amphipolis and Apollonia, or Apollonia, and they come to Thessalonica. By the way, these names. The city of Philippi was named after who? Philip. It wasn't Philippi originally. It had a whole different name centuries before, hundreds of years before. Who is Philip? Why did the name of the city get changed? Who's Philip? There we go. Father of Alexander the Great. So who come to Thessalonica? Why is the city of Thessalonica named Thessalonica? Who's it named after? That's a little trivia question there. Thessaloniki was the sister of Alexander the Great. The daughter of Philip. And this was the city named after Alexander's sister or Philip's daughter. Just, there you go. You ever have Bible trivia some night? There you go. It, I don't know. I don't know. Because I think it was a conglomerate of a bunch of little towns and when the Ignatian Way, when the Ignatian Way got built, I won't go back to the map, when the Ignatian Way gets built from uh, the far eastern Black Sea and goes across through Philippi and Thessalonica, that was just a collection of little towns that all of a sudden kind of came together there and they got named Thessaloniki. So, um, anyway, um, and then of course Ignatian Way goes on. So, second city of, of import, here we are. How long were they in Thessalonica? Paul and Silas and Timothy. At least. At least three Sabbaths. So, at least three weeks. Where did he go to teach? Synagogue. Why didn't he go to teach in synagogue in Philippi? There wasn't one. Roman colony. Wasn't a synagogue. Went down to the river. Found Lydia and some others. So, went to the synagogue. It was his habit. He went there for three Sabbaths in a row. What was he teaching? Here's the first thing that the Bible tells us in Acts that he was teaching. Two kind of important connected things. What did he teach in Thessalonica? This is the first one. That there was a Messiah. He's in a synagogue. Think about where he is. He's talking to Jews. And he's talking to some Greeks that are God-fearing Greeks. They are people who believe in Jehovah. They're sort of proselytes. So they're hearing this. And he says to them, first of all, the Messiah that you've all heard about that's coming, 
he had to suffer and die. What's the next thing he said to them? You look back there in Acts chapter 17. What's that? That's it. That Jesus is the one, that, that this Jesus that I'm talking about today, he is the Messiah. How did he teach that? He taught from Isaiah, he taught from the Old from Psalms. As did Philip when he taught to the eunuch. As did Peter on the day of Pentecost. They were looking for the Messiah. No. Yeah. So here's the second point is the one that matters the most, right? Would have been extremely unusual for somebody to say, by the way, that Messiah that you all know about and generations for generations and generations we've known about, yeah, this Jesus that got crucified, he's the guy. He's the Messiah. So you can understand why some of the Jews got kind of in an uproar. Who were converted? Here, it says in Acts, some of the Jews there were converted. A number of the Greeks were converted. It says God-fearing Greeks or devout Greeks. Depends on your translation. And quite a few women. I put that out because it's going to be interesting. We move on here. So these are the people that are converted. Where does he go after Thessalonica? I mean, or I should say, what happens then? The other Jews got jealous. What other Jews? So some of the Jews got converted. Who are the other Jews? <laughs> well, I think the other Jews in the synagogue. The Jews that all of a sudden realize, uh-oh, we've got people that are not going to be following Jehovah as we would think they should be following Jehovah, just like the Jews in Jerusalem who said, this can't happen. So what do they do? Yeah, they get a mob. They, 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 they form a mob and they start a riot in the city. And then they go to the officials in Thessalonica. Who were the officials in Thessalonica, by the way? It wasn't a Roman colony, so who would the officials have been in Thessalonica? Not soldiers. Just politicians, yeah. Would have been appointed, maybe? Not elected. Here's a little interesting tidbit. You know, you'd wonder, why would these people act this way? And why would the people in Thessalonica be so zealous about this when we pass through this? Thessalonica was a free city. It wasn't a Roman colony. It had lost its freedom. I don't know why. But they had been occupied by the Roman army until about 40, history says 40 to 42, 43 A.D. When's Paul here? When's this journey take place? 48, 49, 50. So five or so years later, here comes Paul. The Jews get all up in an uproar about what he's teaching. And what is the accusation that they make in Thessalonica? In Philippi, they said they're teaching things Romans shouldn't do. What, they, what did they accuse them of doing in Thessalonica? From Acts. They said there was another king. They're teaching, they're teaching there's another king besides Caesar. Now think about these Thessalonians who get fired up with this riot because they're thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got our, we got our freedom taken away and we were occupied by Roman soldiers until just recently. We've done all that we were supposed to do to get our freedom back, to be, to be able to rule ourselves. 
make our own decisions. And now we got somebody in here teaching that there's somebody that's a king other than Caesar. We're not going through this again and having our city occupied. Now do you understand why maybe this crowd got fired up when the Jews stoked the fire and created this accusation and this mentality? So they go to Jason's house where Paul and Silas were supposedly staying. They're looking for Jason. They can't find, they can't find, I mean, they're looking for Paul and Silas. They can't find him. So they take Jason and they go to these authorities and make the accusations that they make there. The believers, after this, do what? They help Paul and Silas get out of town. That night, overnight, so there's no messing around. So here, here's a really important tidbit when we get to the letter. They, they preach or teach in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. Let's think about this. Let's say they showed up on a Sunday, just to make this maximum, the day after the Sabbath. They come from Philippi. They come through Apollonia, Amphipolis, and they get to Thessalonica, let's say, on a Monday. They wouldn't have traveled on a Sabbath. So that's probably saying that if they left Philippi on a Sunday, they maybe got to Thessalonica on a Tuesday. Let's say that's just what happens. So that they've got a little bit of time in Thessalonica before the first Sabbath. The first Sabbath they show up at the synagogue. Three Sabbaths in a row, they go and they teach at the, at the synagogue. Some people are believing some people are following them, becoming converted. All this riot takes place. That wouldn't have happened on a Sabbath either. And they get him out of town that night. So if we kind of stretch that out and say, how long was Paul and Silas, were Paul and Silas and Timothy in Thessalonica? Best guess? Less than a month. All right? That's important. So they get Paul and Silas and, and Timothy, they sneak them out at night, and they go on. Where do they go after, oh, I threw that in there so you could see the map. Where do they go after Thessalonica? What city's next? Berea. Is Berea on the Ignatian Way? No. These guys get off the main road, they get off the highway. And they go down to Berea instead of staying on the Ignatian Highway. Kind of get out of sight. And there's a synagogue in Berea. Guess where they go? They go to the synagogue. How did the Jews respond? And those that were at the synagogue, how did they respond in Berea? Different? They were more noble. Yeah, what does Acts say? They were more noble, more noble-minded. More noble-minded because of what? Says, it gives an explanation of what he meant by that when Luke writes Acts and says that they were more noble-minded than those in, in, in Thessalonica because what did they do? They searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. They didn't just all of a sudden accuse him of teaching something that was an error. They searched the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures. Is all that he's saying true? And who believed? Sort of like Thessalonica, except this time instead of some Jews in Thessalonica, Luke writes, many Jews believed, and quite a few Greek women and men. I, threw out, I took out the adjectives for space, but said prominent Greek and women, uh, Greek women and men. Um, who comes to Berea? Who finds out about this? 
<laughs> These Jews from Thessalonica chase him. Three days journey. I mean, I'm sorry, a day's journey from Thessalonica to Berea. They come a full day's journey to get to, to Berea. I have no idea how to date how long they were in Berea. They could have been there a little bit longer than they were in Thessalonica, but Thessalonian Jews hear about it. What do they do when they come to Berea? Same thing they did in Thessalonica. They incite the crowds. What do the believers do in Berea? Kind of like the believers in Thessalonica. They say, at least to Paul, we've got to get you out of here. As one of my questions says, was he, what, did, they, did they just send him on his own? These are little examples, by the way, of service, how you can serve in the kingdom. What did they do? The believers in Berea, they sent him with an escort. They, were, they sent people with him. Barry? By the way, I just hit me. This is, this is typical of riots today. It's typical of riots against God. We riot, and then we blame the people who are teaching something different than we believe. It's not our fault we're rioting. It's their fault. Yeah. And that's exactly what they do here. It's just an interesting act that Satan uses. Shall we, shall we look into things a little deeper before we do things like that? So they sent Paul away with an escort. How far did they send him away? Where did they take Paul? Athens. So Athens is a long way. It's 20 miles from Berea to the coast, and if they went by boat, it's 250 miles by boat to Athens. And they got him a long way away from the Thessalonians. And what does he ask them to do when they drop him off? Because he's by himself. Yes. Go back and tell Timothy and Silas to come as soon as they can to join me. Wayne. How is that so different from these two places or these three places? It's a long way away. It's also in, it's also in Greece. It's not Jewish dominated. Now they're only Jews, yeah. right? Yeah. But evidently, there was a lot of Jewish power in the other places because sure. you had a synagogue. Where even where there was no synagogue, yep. there were some pretty serious people. Yep. And, uh, and the power structure just didn't <coughs> go right. along well with people teaching truth. As, as is in every country and every generation. Mm -hmm. Power structures are threatened by, you know, the freedom that Christians have. Keeping our timing in mind here, he's in Thessalonica less than a month, goes down to Berea, day's journey, they convert some people in Berea, don't know really how long he was there, before the Thessalonians come down, stir this up and it happens and they leave again. Now they've gone all, he's gone all the way down to Athens. He says to send Timothy and Silas as soon as you get back, have them come and join me. While he's waiting, what's, what happens in Athens? He decides to preach a little. Yeah, he decides to preach a little sermon that's kind of half famous about an unknown God on a marked idol image in a city full of images and idols. And then he goes from Athens, Paul, I mean, Silas and Timothy catch up with him, and then the three of them go where after Athens? The city that he goes to next is Corinth, which is not too far, I'll show it on the map again, 
And how long does he stay in Corinth? This we do know. The Bible actually tells us how long he stays in Corinth. A year and a half. He's in Corinth a whole year and a half. The only other place he stayed longer than this, there's only one other place on his journeys. I'll discount Rome. Because <laughs> his prison in Rome, I'll just say I don't know. But the only other place he stayed longer than Corinth when he was a free man and went around supporting churches was Ephesus. So he got very close to the people in Corinth. And from Corinth, he writes back to the Thessalonians. While he's still in this journey, we don't know when in the 18 months that he wrote back, but he wrote back. Now, here's the questions I ask. Why Thessalonians? Why not Philippi? Why not Berea? Why didn't he write letters to them while he was here? When did he write to the Philippians? Just covered this. This is the first letter to any church, the earliest written letter that we have in the Bible to any church by any apostle or other writer. This would have been still right around 50, 51 A.D. When did he write to Philippi? This is on the second journey. He has a whole other journey after this. Then he goes to prison. Where did he write to Philippi from? Rome, prison. Close to the end of his life. So years later... It just hits me. What's unique about Thessalonia or Thessalonica and the Thessalonians that he's compelled to write to them now? Not to the Philippians and not to the Bereans, as far as we know. Yeah, I think that's it, Wayne. He was there for an extremely short amount of time. Less than a month. Those people in Thessalonica that came after the believers were aggressive. They, they were ready to harm people. I mean, physically were going to persecute people. Sort of like the army did to Paul and Silas in, in Rome. I mean, in Philippi. I believe these citizens were doing the same thing. And did do the same thing. I think Paul's concern was more imminent about this young group of believers. A month. They've been Christians a month when he leaves. So the first thing we know from the book of Thessalonians is that he, there are two things that prompt the letter, I believe. One is his concern. You know, I, I, I just didn't get to spend enough time with you. I think about you all the time. I am worried about you. I want to make sure you're doing okay. And the second thing that prompted the letter was what? I mean, because he was worried, who did he send? He sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. When they get to Corinth and they settle in, sometime later, when Paul's worried about the Thessalonians, he sends Timothy. And in, the first, in this first letter, we're going to see that part of what Paul's responding to is Timothy's report when he comes back. The exciting thing is that all the worry that Paul had for them, Timothy found these people doing extraordinarily well as believers. 
In fact, I'll just give you this little factoid. There's nothing negative in the book of 1 Thessalonians. The first letter of Thessalonians, there's nothing negative. There's no, you need to correct this kind of a of talk in that letter. It is all about their faith, how great they're doing, and here's what we should be looking forward to. So that's what prompts the letter. I need to just put that out there as we get into it. Um, we are now, just so you can, if you can see, we have come from Thessalonica to Berea and then to the coast all the way down. This, this map has them going across land. They could have come all the way around too to Athens. And then Corinth is just barely over here across this little isthmus, if you will. And that's where they are for the next 18 months. Um, I had that up there just so that we could talk about some things. He sends Timothy back, as I mentioned. He writes two letters from there to the Thessalonians. They're the first two letters that we have in the New Testament, the earliest dated letters. These were written before um, Luke and Acts, right? Luke and Acts were written at the end of Paul's third, after, well after Paul's third journey. Um, so uh, these are things that are very, very early um, in the writing. Um, so there's some notes there if you just want to know that's sort of the context of the, 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 um, of the book itself. I did want to read the book today. Um, it is about an eight-minute read, this letter that Paul writes. I want you to think about, I'm going to read it. Um, I want you to think about if you were the church in Thessalonica, this, this collection of believers, uh, wherever they were meeting, that this letter comes to them. And they get to actually hear it read like, like you're going to hear me read it. Um, and they would have been able to hear what Paul was wanting to tell them after his concern. So follow along with me. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, the first letter Paul wrote. I'm going to read all five chapters. It'll take about eight minutes. Um, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly keeping in mind your work of faith and labor of love and perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for, our, for your sakes. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word during great affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place, the news of your faith toward God has gone out, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us as to the kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. For, your, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our reception among you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been treated abusively in Philippi, 
As you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid such opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not intending to please people, but to please God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is our witness, nor did we seek honor from people, either from you or from others, though we could have asserted our authority as apostles of Christ. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. In the same way, we had a fond affection for you and were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brothers and sisters, our labor and hardship. It was by working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you that we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly and rightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we, are, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of mere men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which also is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to, to all people, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always reach the limit of their sins, but wrath has come upon them fully. But we, brothers and sisters, having been orphaned from you by absence for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or our joy or crown of pride in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Or is it not indeed you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it best to be left behind alone at Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother, as God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the benefit of your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we had been destined for this. For even when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it happened, as you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be for nothing. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, 
and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now, we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can, be, can we give to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice because of you before our God, as we keep praying most earnestly night and day that we may see your faces and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers and sisters, be re we request and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you would excel even more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no one violate the rights and take advantage of his brother or sister in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Just as we also told you previously and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in sanctification. Therefore, the one who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now as to the love of the brothers and sisters, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you practice it toward all the brothers and sisters who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to excel even more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we instructed you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as indeed the rest of mankind do, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now as to the periods and times, brothers and sisters, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let's not sleep as others do, but let's be alert and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. 
But since we are of the day, let's be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are also doing. But we ask you, brothers and sisters, to recognize those who diligently labor among you and are in leadership over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you regard them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek what is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not utterly, do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything, hold firmly to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's a remarkable letter. Uh, really to a remarkable people. There are lots of topics in there that we'll cover that as we read through them you kind of might have thought, well, what was that about? There are some familiar passages in there. Um, but all we have time to do this morning is pretty much lay out sort of what is the topics or what are the topics, the main thoughts in this letter. And I gave you this chart and, we'll, and we're going to have to hurry through it, so I'll just probably give you a lot of the answers here. You can sort of see one of them up here in white. In chapter 5, verse 2, one of the themes is the day of the Lord. So where you have quotation marks, that's one possible, if you wanted to say, what's the theme of the book, the first letter? It could be the day of the Lord. Um, this is actually the one that Andy Cantrell, this is, this is, what he has up there and would say that is one of the themes. There are several that are just awesome that we're going to talk about. But these next two sections covers chapter 1, 2, and 3 is looking in one direction and 4 and 5 is looking in another direction. Any clue that it sounded like when you were reading through there? What that might be? first three chapters are looking backward. They're basically talking about what happened when Paul was there and, the, and, men, and Silas and, and Timothy were there. The next one is looking forward. The, the last two chapters are sort of looking forward. What he, they sh should do while they're here and while they're looking for Christ. This thought at the end of each chapter, every single chapter ends with the same, now those chapters were put in by man later. This was one continuous later, letter. But it's interesting that every single chapter ends with the exact same thought. What is that thought? What's mentioned in all five chapters? 
The coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming. That's another theme that you could put on this book. What's the theme of 1 Thessalonians? Jesus is coming. By the way, not a spoiler, but 2 Thessalonians is, ties into this. The theme is, if you use this as the theme, first, the first letter is Jesus is coming. The second letter is he hasn't come yet. <laughs> and you'll see why. But I think it's just amazing how this is written and how Paul keeps returning to this theme. The next section down below the numbers, um, this is borrowed from someone else. Um, if you were to say what was the subject in, in each chapter, um, this guy was clever with his alliteration, but um, I do like the thought. Here was what, here's what the thinking is here. That in each chapter, if the theme is, if every chapter ends with the theme of Jesus is coming, then when you're in in thinking of your salvation, why would we want to consider our salvation? Why would we focus any attention on our salvation? Because Jesus is coming. Why in other situations when we think about what we're supposed to be doing in our service to him on a day-to-day -day basis, why would we be even concerned about our service as we live this life? Because Jesus is coming. If it's sanctification, if I'm supposed to be made holy and blameless, um, we know we can't be in the presence of God because he's a holy God if we have any sin. So we have to be made sanctified. We have to be made blameless. Again, through the, the blood of his son. Well, why, was that, why would that be such a big thing? Why should I worry about that? Because Jesus is coming. And so you can see this every single time. Sorrow. What were they facing in, in the city of Thessalonica? Great persecution. Physical, I believe, persecution. How would we face that sorrow? How do we deal with that sorrow? Knowing that Jesus is coming. And then last, the sobriety. What kind of lives should we lead? We're not going to follow. I'll do these next ones next week. We're not going to... Um, when you think about the kind of mindset we have and the focus we have to the purity in our lives, the dedication to our, to our Lord, why have that kind of discipline? Because Jesus is coming. It's just kind of amazing to me that Paul writes this book at the end again that man would break these chapters where, he, where we break them and every single subject of every chapter there's a reason the reason for doing those things is because Jesus is coming and I can sort of see then why Andy might say that's why the topic or the main theme is the day of the Lord um, so we'll start there next week and get into chapter 1. This week, if you would, read chapter 1. Um, when you have time, it would take you probably two minutes. We probably all have two minutes during the week. If you could read it every day, that'd be great. But uh, just make a point of uh, re remembering in your minds we're going to be covering chapter 1 next week. Thank you for your time and your comments this morning.